Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Sunday service. A special welcome to our guests and all those watching online. My name is Nayaswami Pranava. This is Nayaswami Parvati. And our speaker today is Brahmacharya Chitendra. This reading is taken from rays of the one light with commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. This week's focus is the mystery of avatara, or divine incarnation. Truth is one internal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. The Bhagavad Gita in the fourth chapter states, as we saw last week, O Bharata, whenever virtue declines and vice predominates, I incarnate on earth. Taking visible form, I come to destroy evil and reestablish virtue. What is the mystery of this divine manifestation? Great avatars such as Krishna and Jesus Christ are born as baby, even as we all are. They take human form and go through normal human experiences as they grow from childhood to adulthood. They eat, they play. They seem to suffer sickness and disappointment like the rest of us. In what way are they different from other human beings? The important thing to understand is that even as they are like us, so are we also like them. Their realization can be ours too. They come on earth to show us our own divine potential. The difference lies not in the manner of their manifestation on earth, but in the consciousness with which they are born. All things are condensation, so to speak, of the cosmic vibration, Om, described by St. John's Gospel as the Word. Most human beings, however, are unconscious of their divine origin. The avatars, on the other hand, come consciously as manifestations of that divine reality. As the Gospel says in the first chapter, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh, oh, oh. So, good morning, everyone. Uh, some, I try to remind myself that when it rains, that it's Divine Mother's tears of love falling on us. So she sure loves us today. I'd like to share a reading from Whispers from Eternity. This is written by Paramahansa Yogananda, Prayer Poems and Prayer Demands. This is entitled, I Was Made for Thee. I was made for thee alone. I was made for dropping flowers of devotion gently at thy feet on the altar of the morning. My hands were made to serve thee willingly, to remain folded in adoration waiting for thy coming. And when thou comest to bathe thy feet with my tears, my voice was made to sing thy glory. My feet were made to seek thy temples everywhere. My eyes were made a chalice to hold thy burning love in the wisdom falling from thy nature's hands. My ears were made to catch the music of thy footsteps 
echoing through the halls of space, and to hear thy divine melodies flowing through all heart tracks of devotion. <coughs> My lips were made to breathe forth thy praises and thine intoxicating inspirations. My love was made to throw incandescent searchlight flames to find thee hidden in the forest of my desires. My heart was made to respond to thy call alone. My soul was made to be the channel through which thy love might flow uninterruptedly into all thirsty souls. So today's topic is one of great excitement. And the first thing that came to me when I was reflecting on this topic was that there's a very popular question that is presented to young children very often. And that question is, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I've always thought this is quite the perplexing question to be asking little children because they can't have any idea what they're going to be. Well, when I was young, uh, I was a big fan of of the theater. Uh, I was told that someone has a nickname already, Cinemata, but I thought if that wasn't taken, that could be my, <laughs> my nickname. And so I went to the theater, often when I was young, and I had a little problem where, relating to this question, what do you want to be when you grow up, that answer to that question changed very often for me every time I went to the movie theaters, because who, whatever role the main character was playing, I quickly wanted to become that. So it worked for a little while, as I was very interested in movies relating to detectives. So I was very focused on becoming an FBI agent, which... <laughs> <laughs> so that, that ran for some, quite some time. But then I halted at the place when I finally saw Rocky, which is a movie about boxing. And I walked out of the theater thinking, I want to be a boxer. That's what I want to live my life being. But then I think I quickly realized that that's probably not going to happen. And just the same, I, there was a little hope. There was a little hope. Uh, I was already on the spiritual path, but the movie Avatar came out. So I thought, here it is. Here's the ticket for people to strive and to, to uh, seek God. But it, it just it didn't hit the, the mark just quite as it tried to. But just the same, you know, Paramahansa Yogananda said that this is a, 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 a picture, a motion picture show. And just the same, the avatars, the great ones come, the great masters come to play a role and to show us to exemplify that consciousness of divine love, of divine joy, in a perfect reflection of that light of God. And so for us, as yogis, as devotees, it's here for us to seek that, that example of the Great Ones. Yogananda defined an avatar as the descent of divinity into flesh. And he further clarifies for our understanding, to demystify this right off the bat, is that he said that this is not, and when an avatar is born, it is not a, a perfected creation, but rather it's a soul who has come back after 
previously striving to become free, to become one with God, and who had become completely emancipated in him. We also see this uh, referenced in the scriptures, in the book of Revelation, when Christ said that he that overcometh, I grant to sit with me in my throne, just as I overcame and have sat with my father in his throne. So Christ is saying here to us and to everyone that just the same that Christ started as an imperfect human being but have strived to find God and to become perfect and become free. And so for all of us that we have this example that we're not left in destitute, that there's hope for all of us. And this is what the scriptures tell us. And when we understand that no avatar was created perfect, that the avatar also one day was just like us, an imperfect human being striving for perfection, this helps us understand that there is a process that we have to go to, through uh, to become free. And Yogananda makes very clear in the reading today that it's as important to understand that just that the avatar is like us, we also are like them. And they, the masters come to, the great ones come to help us understand and to embrace that that which we seek, we become. And we have to feel that, we have to realize that, especially every time we sit to meditate, that that which we seek, we will become. So also this is asking us to, to lift our aspirations up, to, to rise above this material plane, and to embrace this spiritual path, that there is just this bridge that we're crossing over into that land of, of divinity. And so perfectly was this exemplified in the autobiography of a yogi. You know, there, there was, uh, at one time, the autobiography was going to be called The Yogi Christ of India. Well, I think another title for this book could be The Life of an Avatar, because the autobiography of a yogi, what a tremendous blessing to the world to be that bridge, to help everyone understand that we also are children of God and that within us lies that same perfect reflection of that divine light. And Yogananda plays a role. And this role that we see him play has periods of time where he quote-unquote suffers and he, he grieves loss of his mother and goes through this journey to find God. He certainly didn't have to go through all of that for his own uh, liberation. He came, as he said, already liberated. So of course he came to show us our own journey and how our own journey will unfold one day and, and we will reach that point of finding God. One of the stories that I know many of you uh, perhaps are aware of but it's an important story for us to remember that as a young boy, Paramahansa Yogananda had a vision. And he had a vision that one day he was in a very busy marketplace, lots of dust and donkeys kicking up uh, dust on the food and people yelling at each other in a very busy uh, marketplace. And he was standing there and he noticed that an, uh, a man came up and st stood next to him. And, his face had an uh, inexpressible yearning on it, looking upwards, saying, oh, it's so beautiful. 
but it's much too high for me. And he would sink down and then he would go back into the busy uh, hustling energy of the marketplace. And so Yogananda carried on with his business. But yet another individual came up to Yogananda by his side and Yogananda heard again this person look up and, and feel a sense of beauty and upliftment. But then shortly thereafter, yet again, the person responded and said, oh, but it's much too high for me. And so Yogananda was curious about what these people were, were looking at. And so he, he looked up and concentrated and focused. There above in the clouds was this beautiful mountain peak and this beautiful garden. And he thought, how beautiful that is. How I would like to be there and live there. And then that same thought came over Yogananda. Oh, but it's much too high for me. Quickly, overcoming his mind, shifting his thought, he thought, well, perhaps it is high, but at least I can put one foot in front of the other, and one day I will get there, I will be there. So often in our own lives, we dream of something big. We, we, we're striving toward this, this consciousness of God, of the great masters, and sometimes it seems really far away. But as much as we can remember that we have to just take one step at a time, as Swamiji said, it's the only thing we can do anyway. But to remember that each day so that we don't get overwhelmed in this process of awakening and we see what is in front of me and how I can do my best to offer myself to what's being asked of me. And when we perfect that in our self-offering to that next step, then before you know it, we will be there. We will be received in that light. Master, in one of his talks, urged us to live life with an attitude of a divine being. And if you haven't heard Yogananda speak, I urge you to listen to some <laughs> of, his, of his recordings. But that booming request, live life with an attitude of a divine being. And one could paraphrase this as, fake it till you make it. I mean, we need, to, we need to, in each moment, try to listen to the soul, to clear away the static of the mind and open the heart and listen to that divine call that's always there, striving, pushing us toward our home in God. And as Yogananda said that as much as we can to to be a channel of lifting our thoughts and our, our aspirations high, to never be satisfied with that which is just in the material plane, but always try to refine your consciousness. Meditation is one of the best ways as we sit to meditate in the silence and we listen to the soul and we bathe in that, that joy of the soul. This is the remembrance. Every time we sit, we remember. And if, if you're having trouble with this, there's so many ways that are in place in Dwapara Yuga. You could set email reminders to remind yourself of your divine real, your divine self. You can, we at Ananda Village, we have 260, so you can always leave yourself a message <laughs> to remind yourself that you are a divine being. You are light. You are joy. But as you start to try to say this, in your mind, as you try to affirm this in your heart, there's that other side that says, no, you're not. 
look what you did today. You dropped the ball here and you didn't do this perfect and your sadhana is not going as well as it should be. We can't listen to that voice anymore. We have to embrace that call of God. We have to embrace that, that call of the soul. And as we embrace that and we choose, it's a choice. It's a moment-to-moment choice to choose to listen to that other side, which is Divine Mother calling us, Om, that Om vibration. And to, as we start to hear that other side, to just release it at the moment that it comes in. There's a great story. I see Swami Jaya is back from India, which is beautiful. Uh, he told a story once which was so inspiring. And he was giving a satsang in India at a college. And at toward the end of the satsang, one of the students uh, stood up and asked Jayaji, so you've been practicing Kriya Yoga and these techniques for about 40, 50 years. Well, what do you have to show for it? What are you, show me your powers. Show me your powers. And so Jayaji was thinking, gosh, what, what does one say to this question, this skeptical question? And Jaya thought for a moment, and what his answer is so helpful for us to remember, that he said, well, I don't have powers to you know, bend a spoon in front of you, or I can't levitate or do all these other things, but I do have the power to choose to be happy. And this is something to remember, that it's on us. Master once, when everyone was meditating with their eyes closed, and he was asking everyone to step up and to take responsibility for their spiritual life. And he said, open your eyes. This, this is on you. You have to put forth that effort, that renew your effort daily. Renew your effort in every moment. You have that power to choose, to listen, and to follow that other guidance that's bringing us to our home in God. And that power also, as we gain that power through meditation, through Kriya Yoga, through our devotional yearning and serving others, it starts to lessen that egoic pull with that other voice that is trying to convince us that we're not perfect. On this journey to perfection, one of the things that will help us is if we consider and we relate to the avatar, the master, as energy. And so with this understanding that although perhaps the star, the spiritual eye seems so far away at times, we can begin to work and do the work in the moment with working with our own energy. As we ourselves refine our energy and our vibration and we come into attunement with that ray of light that is continuously trying to guide us. And it is continuous in every moment, beyond the moment. There is a continuing flow of grace. There's a flow of light that is always trying to pull us back to that place of freedom. And so all we have to do is align with that flow of grace. And in our meditation, this is how we recalibrate every cell of our body. We recalibrate our mind to come into focus with that that river of grace. We've come to realize when we enter that flow of grace that God is the doer. Yes, we put forth all of this effort, but where is the effort guiding us? It's guiding us to that point where that river begins to flow because it is the grace of God that is going to be the 
the hand that liberates us. It is that invisible hand that is guiding us in every moment in our life, giving us the experiences we need to learn to rise and to purify, to purify that other side of our consciousness that's trying to convince us otherwise. One of the most, I think this may be the cutest word in the English language, is polyglots. <laughs> if you haven't heard of polyglot, polyglot is one individual who speaks multiple languages. And I'm very interested in this, and I'm very impressed by those who speak multiple languages, especially being around Swamiji. You know, I've, I've seen Swamiji, you know, shift between a few different languages in the same, you know, 30 seconds. And it was so impressive. And I'm impressed by anyone who can do this. Um, I'm still slowly working on it, but I, I'm not going to hold my breath uh, <laughs> on this uh, journey of speaking a, multi a different language. But there was a researcher who was trying to figure out how do people, uh, how do people become uh, polyglots? <laughs> how, do they, how do they get to that point of speaking, speaking multiple languages? And so she did much research, and she traveled all around the world and gathered polyglots together. And she, I'll, I'll probably say polyglot a few more times. And she gathered them together, and she did this research. And what she found was that what the, the common factor which led people to success was that it was they enjoyed learning. And they found new ways to enjoy the process. For us, we are in school, we are learning. We're learning the divine language. And our language is not audible, it's silent. In the language that we're learning, we, we learn in meditation. And so for us on this journey, we have to realize this journey of perfection to one day become free like the great ones. It's helpful for us to learn how to enjoy the fact that we're learning. In, in every moment, try to find new ways to enjoy this process because this is a long-distance run. And I think all of us want to carry forth to the end. So we have to have that patience, but find new ways. That's the creativity that our beloved Swamiji uh, showed us so beautifully. If we bring creativity into our spiritual life, Renew our effort, not with trudging through the trenches, but with joy. And enjoy this process. The more that you feel that sense of joy and that renewal, the more you'll find that those moments that come and try to veer us away from where we're heading, when we're in that joy, we will be in that flow of grace. And we won't feel that resistance that arrives in our life, and when that resistance begins to build in our life, then we're putting forth so much effort, not toward striving to our goal, but to release that, that resistance. So the more you can remember those three aspects that are really the pillars of the spiritual life, which is relaxation, to be relaxed in this process of realizing in this process we can let go in that, that river of grace. <coughs> And to concentrate, we have to, moment by moment, we have to recalibrate our mind, we have to recalibrate our heart, and to focus it and concentrate. So chant more, do japa, all of these things we have to try to do in every moment to bring ourselves back. And then naturally, with these first two steps in place, we will begin 
to expand in, in this journey. When we, when we, Yogananda, in one of his talks, he uh, urged us to become a smile millionaire, to smile. And in, often, if you've ever been in a, a Hatha yoga class with me, I've, I've sometimes introduced one of the most advanced asanas in the yoga practice. And this asana is called smile asana. And at times it can be one of the most difficult asanas to practice. But it's important for us to smile, to feel that joy of God, to feel that river of grace. When we smile, we, when our energy rises, we feel that we're able to continue on this journey, no matter how troubling it may get for us. I had a special blessing from Swamiji uh, on this topic, I think, of how we can best strive toward uh, becoming free in God. And this, I'll leave it to you to determine whether this was a dream in the subconscious realm or in this dream uh, motion picture show. But Swamiji, uh, as many of you know, if you don't know, Swamiji left the body in 2013. And so we were all gathered in a, a hall, a room, and everyone was very joyful and interacting, and, but there was an undercurrent of uh, anticipation, uh, an undercurrent of a little bit of sadness for wanting to, to see Swamiji in the body once again. And I too was in that group, and I felt that, that yearning to wanna just feel Swamiji in the body even though being aware that Swamiji, of course, has, is free and is accessible to us, always. But there was that yearning, and also there was that anticipation of knowing perhaps something is going to happen. And so the room was filled, there was a long hall, and in the front of the, the room were these large windows, and out, just on the other side was the road. And everyone was, uh, interacting with each other, but my eyes were fixed at the at the window, looking out at the street, you know, anticipated, anticipating perhaps Swami arriving. And all of a sudden, I saw a car drive by in the window. And in the car, Davy was in the car, uh, Miriam, who was Swami's nurse for a long time, was in the car, and Swamiji was in this vehicle. And they started driving by, and Swamiji looked out of the side window at this, through the window into this hall, and then turned his head back and the car just kept going. And I thought, no, don't leave. You know, all of us want to see you and be with you. And I thought, I felt this, this panic and a little bit of anger to think that, you know, oh my gosh, he's, they're not gonna stop, they're continuing on. But in the moment of seeing that vehicle and seeing Swamiji, I just had the biggest smile in my, on my face. And of course, it was an expression of in my heart, just smiling of even that brief moment of just seeing Swami was such a blessing. And I kind of turned my head and, you know, was just looking about the room. And all of a sudden, I see the car start backing up. <laughs> and I thought, yay, Swami's, Swami's going to come. And the whole room shifted. And just as Swamiji got out of the vehicle and, and uh, everyone else got out of the vehicle and then entered the room, there was that energy of Swamiji. There was that, that, that bliss, that love, that infinite invitation 
for everyone to, uh, to be a part of that blessing, to become free in that consciousness. And everyone was so filled with joy and tears were falling and I was so happy. And he was greeting everyone I was, as he was coming into the room. And Miriam, who was one, his nurse for a long time, continued onward in this big long hall and was walking toward the end. Everyone was fixed on hoping Swamiji would have time to come all the way down to the very end of the hall to, for the opportunity to greet him. And Miriam came over to my side and without looking at me just said, you know what made Swami decide to stop and turn back to come? He saw your smile. <laughs> and it was so beautiful. And this isn't for me, it's for all of us. The smile of our hearts, the smile of our souls is that invitation. It's that invitation to, to open to that flow of grace, which when we're open, that's where the avatars are. The avatars, the great ones, perhaps may not, we may not see them in this room, but they're here through each one of you. So each one of you, your voice is a channel for your guru, for Divine Mother. Your heart is that vessel for God to, to love others through you. And although it seems that the avatar is so infinite, and, and you know, the, the um, the job description for an avatar is just mind-boggling. <laughs> Once Paramahansa Yogananda, as he had a big mission to bring Kriya Yoga to the world, to show the universality of all religions, he once started to feel a little discouraged that every time that he would finish a big project, and when his big projects were big projects, and he would say to God, to Divine Mother, every time I think that I'm finished with what you're giving me with these projects. You put something more on me. What's going on? And God responded and said, I run all of the universes. Can't you run a pinpoint? <laughs> wow. This, this is helpful for all of us when we have our projects and we think they're really big. That the grace is there. And he realized at that moment that God is the doer. And then from that moment on, he said he was in that flow of grace and that everything flowed with ease. I wanted to close with this story with emphasizing that as, as much as the avatar, as the great ones are infinite, and they come with these big missions to, to lift the consciousness of the world and, and to restore faith in mankind, but they also come and heed the call of all wounded hearts. And through that vibration of Om, through Divine Mother's love, we are blessed by Divine Mother and by God, the avatars, in every moment of our life. And every little prayer that we offer is heard, and God responds. And one of the most beautiful stories, I think, is that once Devi Mukherjee was driving in a car with Master, and all of a sudden, Master said, stop, stop the car, stop the car. And they stopped the car, and they pulled up to this variety shop. And 
Devi was a little perplexed of what's going on, but he followed Yogananda into this variety shop and there was just a whole bunch of junk, Devi said. And <clears throat> Yogananda was going around shopping and he was gathering together all these things. And Devi thought to himself, what does Master have? What is he interested in with all this junk for? What's, what's going on? And so Yogananda got to the, to the counter and he put all of his items on the counter and he continued and he, he paid for these items. And the woman burst into tears. And she said, I was badly needing this exact amount of money. And I was so fearful that we were, clo we were closing and I wasn't going to be able to, to get this exact amount of money. I know that God himself has sent you to me. And Master, he never used that stuff. And he never talked about this afterwards. Such love, such love that's always there for us if we just listen in each of us to try to also attune ourselves with loving others in this same spirit, seeking to serve others, of seeking to give happiness to others. We too will one day realize that we are free and we are one with God. So God's blessings to you all.